What time is it? Everybody, what time is it? There's no time like island time. Nobody is ahead, nobody's behind. Everything's fine on island time. And you'll be living on island time. Caribbean breezes blow through my mind. We're saying. from the campus of Baldwin-Wallace University on the sultry, hot, beautiful summer night, so far anyway. It's DK, it's the tropical, ex- uh, the tropical escape, that's <laughs> what I'm trying to say. It's the Island Time Radio Show, trap rock music on the radio. How's everybody doing tonight? DK on duty. I got a very special show. We've been doing some special shows all summer long, and we still got uh, a couple more before the summer wraps up. And tonight, uh, it's still the uh, 60th anniversary of the Beach Boys, America's band, of course, and we thought uh, we had Fred Valon, who who definitely has uh, one way of looking back at the stories and telling them and so forth, and we thought we would check out a different era and a whole different take in tonight's special. It's going to be more of the progressive era from like 1968 to 1974. And I'll tell you all about it as we go along. John Stebbins is going to be our very special guest from uh, California Way. He's written several uh, books, including some really top-notch books about uh, the Beach Boys, uh, Dennis Wilson, David Marks in particular. So let's get to things. Mark Woods is going to check in with us early tonight, so he's coming up real soon. Let's get this thing rolling. This is Jimmy Buffett. Here's one I haven't played in a while. Salty Piece of Land on Island Time. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I was listening for answers that I could not really hear When the words of a wise old Indian put a conch shell to my ear And I took off for the ocean, I was searching for the coast Painting pictures of my vision with the words from Grandma Ghost Hiding from the dragons Riding for the sea Singing ballads from my childhood A pirate's life for me Survivors seem to function best When peril is at hand Where the song of the ocean Meets a salty piece of land
I was force-fed my religion But I somehow saved my smile Tapped into my instincts As I headed towards exile Cleopatra did not own a barge But a schooner was her home She has centuries of stories And there's wisdom in her bones She was on a sacred mission And she told me of a place Where a man could hide forever But never lose his face So I saddled up my seahorse With a fly rod in my hand I was not looking for salvation Just a salty piece of land Kyoloko shimmers Like the stars up in the sky And the seabirds they do touch and goes As the world just tangles by But there are times when she is hidden Beneath the wild and crashing waves And the patron saint of lightning Keeps the sailors from their graves Some say it is a blinding sword Pointing out into the sea While others say her guiding light Leads towards eternity Still I sit in contemplation And I just don't understand This mysterious attraction Of this salty piece of land I search the constellations And the tiny grains of sand Where the song of the ocean Meets the salty piece of land I wanted to mention this off the top of the show, and I neglected to do so. We are going to do a little quick musical tribute to a, a rock and roller who played at Puddin' Bay for many, many years. And uh, in my early years of going to Puddin' Bay, I would bet you I saw these guys a few times, but I wasn't aware of things enough at that point to even know who they were. But I did end up seeing them later on in recent years, uh, the most recent in 2015, Ben Dover and the Screamers. I know the name is hilarious, but the guy's name was Ben Parker, and uh, he passed away this past week. So we're going to do a tribute to two of his most memorable memorable songs. They would always do the Doors Roadhouse Blues, and then they had their own original that we're going to follow that up with. This is a little musical tribute to Ben Parker right here on Island Time Tonight.
Remembering Ben Parker tonight right here on Island Time from Ben Dover and the Screamers. Can't say that name with a straight face. We just had Toad My Car, the great original song from them, them that has become a Putin bay legendary song. If you're up at Putin bay it's in the jukebox, for crying out loud. Roadhouse Blues, The Doors cover, of course, and they were the party band for many years at the Roundhouse Bar at Putin bay Jimmy Buffett started things off with Salty Piece of Land. And it's all tonight on the Island Time Radio Show. Some exciting things are coming up in the coming weeks. The first one's in Key West. And the second one, in fact, let me get that ready. 
In fact, let's do the Cleveland one first. Some things, one of the things is in Cleveland and the other one is in Key West. So let's check out the Cleveland one first. Here we go. Jack Daniels presents the Cleveland Music Awards in association with Immigrant Sun Brewing. We hope you can join us on September 25th at Forward Nightclub to celebrate the best bands, artists, and live music venues this city has to offer. For everything you need to know, visit clemusicawards.com. And remember, always rock on responsibly. And we're going to have an exciting announcement about those awards coming up here on Island Time. Uh, probably, I'm hoping next week anyway. All right. Now the exciting thing coming up in Key West. The Island Time Radio Show joins Parrot Heads in Paradise in inviting you to the 30th Annual Meeting of the Minds, presented by Margaritaville Island Reserve Resort, with great music from stars like Nico Moon, Sister Hazel, Grammy winner Gramps Morgan, The Whelan Brothers, Mishka, Christian Bush, plus the Coral Reefer Band and dozens of other great artists performing where the Atlantic meets the Gulf in Key West. It all happens November 2nd to 6th. Visit MOTM.rocks to register for the 30th annual Meeting of the Minds. All right, it's time for Tiki Tender. Tiki Tender's joining us early tonight on our special. Tiki Tender. He's the Tiki Tender. You can go on a bender with the Tiki Tender on A1A down in FLA. All right. All right. Mark Woods, aloha, baby. <laughs> aloha. Hello, everybody. How's it going, my friend? Hey, it's good. It's good. It's hot. It is hot. It's hot. That's what it is. And I'm wearing but, my uh, Aloha from Sunny Cleveland shirt tonight. How about that? Oh, uh, I was wearing mine a couple of days ago. <laughs> I was wearing mine a couple of days ago. I love that shirt. <laughs> I tell you what. Yeah. So, so uh, I know you got a. I know you got a big guest coming up. So uh, just wanted to uh, say hello and jump into a few, a uh, couple of recipes real quick. Sure. Right, Let's do it. So, uh, you know, it's really hot outside. Nothing tastes better on a hot day. Well, a hot, a cold beer, but a nice cold Coca-Cola. So I wanted to give a, I wanted to do a couple of drinks with Coca-Cola in them just because uh, you're already going to have it around. And, uh, you know, it's nice, refreshing, a uh, couple different things you haven't had. Of course, we'll start out with the ubiquitous rum and Coke. If everyone knows how to make one of those, put a little rum in, you put a little Coke in, there you go. <laughs> so there that was real easy. There you go. Uh, but... Um, but one I wanted to talk about is one that we used to make a lot at the Golden Lion, and uh, uh, we're doing uh, you know a Beach Boys special, so I wanted to share the suntan surfer girl uh, with everybody. Yep. And uh, this is a drink that you that it's going to seem pretty familiar to everybody. It's a suntan surfer girl, so almost everybody's had a Malibu and pineapple out there if they've been at a beach bar or uh, a Parrot Head event, uh, just coconut rum with pineapple juice. But you make it a suntan surfer girl, you just Put about an ounce of Coke in there on top of it and stir that in, make it a little light tan color, and then you have your suntan surfer girl. So it's Malibu, pineapple, and Coke uh, to make the suntan surfer girl. I like and it. And that used to be real. That used to be real popular at the Golden Lion uh, a few years ago. We had it on the on the menu there, and, and people really enjoyed that one. And then uh, finally, this one's going to sound a little weird, but it's very it's a very historic drink, and people people love this drink in the summertime and in the, in the tropical climates. And it's called the Calimocho, 
or uh, Mocho for short. Now that's spelled K A L I M O T X O, Cali Mocho. Wow. And the Cali Mocho is a delicious drink. If you got a little red wine laying around, it's a hot day. Get you a big tumbler, a big glass, your favorite cup, mason jar, whatever you like. Throw a little ice in there. Fill it halfway up with red wine, halfway up with Coca Cola. You aren't going to believe how delicious it tastes. That's you got to post that one on our page. That sounds really good. I will. I will. I've got a neat article uh, that I share with people sometimes, the Calimocho. But uh, that's a delicious summertime drink. Got a little wine laying around uh, that you want to get rid of and uh, throw some Coca-Cola in there. It is It is really good. Sounds great, Mark. Excellent. TikiTender.com. Yeah. I'm sorry to make this so short, but Jen's already calling that's in. Okay. TikiTender.com okay, no is the website. Uh, find uh, Mark's uh, recipes. And I uh, hope everything's going good down in FLA. Everything's good. It's just hot. I look forward to hearing the interview. I'm going to stay up and listen to it. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. All right, my friend. Mark Woods, the Tiki Tender, right here on Island Time. everybody. Talk to you soon, my friend. All right. Let's do our first Beach Boys song tonight from Sunflower. We're going to have John Stebbins joining us in just a moment. I'm thinking about it this
need a mess of help to stand alone that is from the carl and the passions album 1972 and before that we had this whole world from sunflower 1970 and this is a fun idea and linda rob uh you inspired me to do this show because normally i do these beach boy specials and you know it's all about surfing usa and fun 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 and barbara and and uh, this is the first time i've tried this where we're going to just play a lot from the progressive era Linda, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great, DK. How about you? You're coming off of wild trap rock weekend in Chicago, Illinois, the uh, Chicago summer chill, right? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. You know, perfect weather, had uh, pool days, music by the pool, and then uh, more music uh, down in the ballroom. and, And it was kind of funny because Galveston, Texas, was having an event, too, and Jonas played there Saturday and then flew, or, sorry, he played there Friday and flew and came to see us Saturday, and Johnny Russler played Summer Chill Friday and flew to Galveston for Saturday, so they crossed paths. So we just traded them, you know, swapped them <laughs> out. I saw the pictures. It was like Phil Collins at Live Aid or something, yes, across the country. <laughs> Exactly. So it was a total blast, and probably your your biggest, well, I I could count Iowa last year, but I was going to say probably your biggest trap rock event in a long time. Well, I had summer solstice at the end oh, of Oh, summer solstice. Well, this was bigger than that, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, this was bigger, yeah, but, okay. but still just as fun. And you got us, like, tons of interviews, right? Oh, yeah, you know it. <laughs> oh, whoops, I forgot. <laughs> I had a feeling that was going to happen, I tell you what. <laughs> and, Linda, we're going to bring on our special guest of the evening tonight, John Stebbins, great Beach Boys author. We've had him on in the past, but it's been a while. John, are you there from L.A.? It has been a while, yeah. Um, how long, Dennis? How long has it been? Uh, five, seven, I don't know, five, seven years maybe, <laughs> yeah. I, I think the first time I was on more like 20 20-plus years ago, but, yeah, definitely a couple times since then. I did about 10 of those Beach Boy marathons years ago, and uh, you were a guest on a few of those, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely remember that. 
So I'm glad you're back, and we're going to talk a little bit tonight about the progressive era of uh, the Beach Boys, and we're also going to uh, talk a little bit about David Marks and Dennis Wilson, since you wrote some terrific books about both of those guys. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds like fun. And our co, uh, the queen of trap rock, our co-interviewer, Linda Robb, is on the other line. <laughs> Linda, are you there? Yes. Hi, John. Hi, Linda. So where should we begin? I think I'm just going to throw it to Linda because she had a couple of really good questions. We'll start off with that. Go ahead, Linda. Begin at the beginning. At the beginning. (laughs) Here's the deal, John. I know DK is not too thrilled with this, but I'm not a huge Beach Boys fan, but he turned me on to kind of their progressive music, and I didn't even know it was them. I'm like, wait a minute, this is the Beach Boys? And so I've been telling them, I'm like, they can't be all that innocent. I want some dirt on the Beach Boys. we got to get somebody on to give us some dirt on the Beach Boys. And he's like, oh, yep, I know who that is because he knows everything <laughs> Beach Boys, right? <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of dirt to be had. Yeah, it's weird <laughs> And how, he knows how, to call you for that. Yeah, it's weird how a lot of people have this perception of them as being kind of squeaky clean or kind of square when they were probably, you know, farther out than practically any other act. I mean, if you go back to the the Smile era, which is, you know, their post, um, post-hit post era, just, you know, beginning into 67, late 66 into 67, they really went in a weird direction. And, um, you know, the, the Smile album was unreleased, but it's, uh, what has leaked out and actually finally came out um, many years later, but in its time, it would have been really like the weirdest, you know, I mean, it ranks up there with like, you know, Frank Zappa kind of weirdness. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, like Mothers of Invention Freak Out, uh, Smile would have been kind of like the other weirdest album of the year if it had come out in its time. Yeah. But because that didn't come out, a lot of people sort of lost interest in the Beach Boys because there was a lot of lag time between releases, and and um, they never really got the cred for for being like so weird and trippy uh, like they were. But but um, if you go back and listen to that stuff and think about it in the context yeah. of 1966, um, it really is strange music. And um, I think that would have completely changed people's perception, the more general kind of consensus perception of them as being whatever, you know, very, very American, very white, very straight, um, which they really were not inside, you know, behind the curtain or whatever. Right. Now, is that why they stopped making that kind of music? And because they had to go back to their so-called innocent persona well, there's factions you know in, in, in the in the band so you have the Wilson brothers the three brothers Brian Dennis and Carl who are really more progressive in their approach to music and they don't really even though Brian was cranking a lot of hits out he didn't really think about music as being um, commerce i don't think i think it's more music is more of a spiritual thing for him and right. so so the wilson brothers tend to make music that's a little bit more progressive whereas mike love who fronts the band and is the main lyricist of the band 
and probably the most identifiable voice um, in the Beach Boys has more more of a hit kind of um, um, his, you know his 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 goal would be to, to write a top ten hit you know right. that, that type of thing. So even yeah. Brian made a great combination because Brian would come up with these really beautiful arrangements and sometimes they were um, they were a little bit on the esoteric side but Michael had a way of dialing it all back into a, a way that it was um, perceived in a way that would you know get across to people through the radio so so it was more accessible you know he had a, he had a, a knack for making the music more accessible Um and so the combination of Mike and Brian writing together really, you know, was responsible for so many of those hits. But um, but really, the Wilson the Wilson brothers are are kind of you know they they kind of break the mold of of what most people would perceive the Beach Boys as being just just in that their lifestyles were were pretty um pretty wild and and you know there's a lot of drugs involved and. You know, a lot of women involved with Dennis, like crazy stuff. <laughs> and Dennis, you know, Charles Manson was his roommate. You know, you can't get any like more. I was going to ask you about that. What his uh, yeah. association was with the Manson family? Well, I mean, I, you know, first of all, Manson wasn't a mass murderer. You know, at, at that time, when they he was not a convicted mass murder. I mean, it was a couple of years before, or a year before that, that he and Dennis connected, but but um, Manson was kind of like a singer, songwriter, poet, whatever, and interesting kind of guy, and, and uh-huh. they crossed paths, and Dennis was interested in this kind of weird, trippy guy who wrote these weird, weird little songs and stuff, so... Um, you know, at the same time, I mean, I'm not trying to compare Van Dyke Parks to Charles Manson or Steve Lynch <laughs> Charles Manson, but the Wilson brothers were seeking out more artistic lyricists. And right. so, you know, you had you had people like Tony Asher who wrote the lyrics to Pet Sounds and and Van Dyke Parks who was a lyricist for the, the Smile Project. Uh, Steve Kalinich, who was a very avant-garde poet came came on board and started writing songs with Dennis and Brian. Uh, they were looking for something different than the surfing in the cars and the sun and the girls. They were looking for for lyrics that were, you know, more in tune with the the sixties and what was happening in the, you know, summer of love ish kind of time. And so Manson just kind of was another one of those those types of really super um avant-garde kind of thinkers and and, um, and that's really what interested Dennis but of course you know he, he turned out to be I guess the personification of evil I don't know something uh-huh. like that yeah. um, and it you know um, it, it didn't turn out too well but um, Dennis and him parted before um, any of that stuff with the, the murders happened or whatever but but to have had that guy be, you know, to have been associated with him, um, yes, kind of, what? Know, it created a little bit of a cloud over Dennis that, that never went away. So, yeah. Did Charlie Manson ever help him write any of his lyrics in for? Yes, music? they actually 
he actually put a song out on their 2020 album that's called Never Learn Not to Love. So they actually recorded a song that, that was a Charles Manson composition in its early stage. Dennis took it and rearranged it and put a bunch of harmonies on it and made it, you know, made it something more glorious. But um, and didn't give Manson the songwriting credit on it. Um, because there, there's a lot of things involved, but but um, Dennis essentially bought the song from Manson in its in its raw form, and then he took it and turned it into something. But if you listen to the demo, it's definitely that song that Manson wrote, um, and it was recorded by the Beach Boys. They just didn't put the Charles Manson as a co-writing credit on it, which probably should have. But the songwriting credit on it. over the edge. Um, you know, Charlie be, there's a lot more to it than that. I mean, yeah. I'm sure it didn't uh, help. I'm sure it didn't. It didn't help. Uh, let's put it that way. But but um, you know what eventually happened with the family and the, you know the murders and all that stuff. There's just there's mm-hmm. a lot of factors involved. Um, and and yeah. Manson's failed association with you know he he wanted to be. Um, but, you know, he wanted to be a, a successful recording artist or a successful songwriter, and he kind of flirted with it a little bit with his association with the Beach Boys and his association with Terry Melcher, who is a very well-known producer, produced The Birds and Paul Revere and the Raiders and a lot of hit acts. Um, Madsen had an association with Melcher as well. And all of those relationships ended up fraying, partly because those people figured out that Charlie's kind of a weird, scary person. <laughs> they kind of wanted to get away yeah. from him. Now that song but, um, uh, that the Beach Boys recorded was called Never Learn Not to Love, but the original title that Manson had was Cease to Exist, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, Cease to Exist. And that Correct. sounds like something Charles Manson would write. <laughs> and then Dennis changed that lyric to Cease to Resist. Cease to resist. Oh, cease to resist, cease to resist. And, and it was exist oh, at first. Come yeah. on and love, come, come on and love me. He almost turned it into a love song, <laughs> even though wow. you know, yeah. So it's it's it, it was a it's really a interesting um, study in songwriting and arranging. If you really listen to what that song was in its original form, and then you listen to the Beach Boys recording of it, and it went from being dark, kind of scary, raw folk song into being this kind of beautiful semi-psychedelic pop song yeah. um, in, its, in its Beach Boys form. But, um, but anyway, you know, back to what you were saying about, you know, you kind of cringed about the Beach Boys because maybe like, you felt like they were just a little too sunshiny or whatever. You didn't really <laughs> like that part of them. But then when you found out they did a little bit weirder stuff or more progressive stuff then you started to think hey wait a minute I didn't know about this and that, that's yeah. what happens with oh, a lot yeah. of people that's what we're yeah. trying to focus on tonight so now oh yeah I'm, I'm gonna love the Beach Boys now that Dennis <laughs> is associated with Charlie Manson <laughs> So Linda wanted yeah. to uh, hear some dirt, and one story that I always I always remember. Uh, there's a lot of stories, but in the Dennis Wilson book that you wrote, which is called Dennis Wilson, the Real Beach Boy, 
Uh, tell mm-hmm. us tell us a little bit about his relationship with Christine McVie and uh, Fleetwood Mac. Oh yeah, well, it's probably I guess about late 1978, probably right after um, Fleetwood Mac Rumors came out, and that's like the biggest selling record in the world. Right. Um, Dennis Dennis had um, kind of an affiliation with Fleetwood Mac. He he knew. Um, Lindsey Buckingham and he knew Stevie Nicks and some of the people and, and he and Christine McVie ended up you know having a romantic relationship that lasted some couple at least a couple of years I would think and um, they they actually worked on music together which was kind of a holy grail for me because <laughs> they recorded some, some duets and they wrote some songs together and still we haven't heard any of that um, which kind of you know, I think by now something would have leaked somewhere, but really the only snippet that we hear is uh, Christine saying backgrounds on one of Dennis's tracks from 78 called, um, uh, what is that song called? It was on L.A. Light album. Um, Angel Come Home? Dennis. Angel Come Home? No. no Love um, Surrounds Me? It's not, Love Surrounds Me, that's the one. Yeah, yeah so... Christine sang backgrounds on that. You can hear her voice in it in a few places, but but really, that's like the only thing that's leaked. And and um, I know for a fact that they they logged studio time together. They they even had a a um, a gig booked. They were going to play a benefit. I think Dorothy Chandler Pavilion or somewhere in L.A. Where they were they were actually on the bill as you know Dennis Wilson and Christine McVie. I don't think they ever ended up playing the show, but but I do know somebody who who heard them. They were working on a set together wow. where they would they would both be at a piano and and basically do you know sing together. So those are two voices that you know because his voice is so rough at that point, and hers is just so sweet and pure. I would love to have heard what that those two voices sounded like yeah. together. But I think what Dennis is getting at is uh, Dennis. Dennis kind of had a reputation for for um, betting all the women basically right. within within an arm's reach, and <laughs> and it was like when he when when he hooked up with the Fleetwood Mac organization, he he basically you know from from what I heard, he basically cut a swath through through the entire Fleetwood Mac, you know. Entourage, corporation, you know, everybody's everybody's wife, everybody's girlfriend, <laughs> everybody's, you know, the maids that were, because they all lived in mansions and they all had maids. So it was just like Dennis, you know, he slept with everybody. Every female in the fleet would make, doc- yeah. The doctor across the street, <laughs> wife, because he knew what time the doctor went to work, so we'd go across the street at that time. And then the maid checked in at the house next door at this time, and he'd go <laughs> next door. And it was just like he had a route, basically, that he went through the neighborhood. So that's that's what I heard. You know? I wasn't there. Right. Now there did, was a lot of interviews. Now, does that include uh, Stevie Nicks in that group? I, I heard no, but okay. you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I can't say. Probably, well, did she say know. no to him? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I think she might have said no to him. I think. <laughs> at least that's what some people some people say. So yeah. Now, 
But, you know, it's hard, it's hard to get them to talk about Dennis because he was in such bad shape by the time yeah. he was hanging around with them. It's kind of sad. Um, and so when he gets into the more sad years, it's, it's, it's harder to get people to talk about him. Yeah, but if sure. you go back a little earlier than that, um, like, say, the, the 60s and into the early 70s, and, and you ask women about him, they all get this sparkle in their eye. And I, it's like something I really was blown away when I did all the interviews for the the book was it was almost like the you could hear the violins starting in the back, you know, and, and the little sparkle coming in the eyes of these women. And I'm sure he treated a lot of them you know, eventually really badly, but but still they would have the sweet memory of him. Um, something about him really appealed and impacted people in a way that even after, you know, I'm doing these interviews um, how many years after he had died? 15 years after he had died, you know, at least. And they still have this very, very specific and impactful memory of him in their life. They would always have a story about, you know, you know what he did, how he did it, and it just was always like a sweet, kind of bittersweet um, memory for a lot of these women. Well, so that was Dennis. Well, we're on this uh, subject, John. Uh, I want to play so much music. All these remixes and reissues have come out since we've talked to you last. And, of course, the big one that's out right now is uh, Sounds of Summer Expanded. I wanted to play uh, All I Want to Do, the song that was on the 2020 album, but now we have a take where Dennis sings lead vocals on it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The song, if obviously, if you listen to the lyrics, is about you know getting together and uh, you know making love and that kind of thing. And uh, Dennis wanted it to be authentic, so at the very end of the track, they went into the studio... <laughs> Can you tell the rest of the story? Uh, well, they, they found a they found the lady of the night, I guess. Lady um, of the night, and, okay. Yeah, and um, got her in the studio and paid her well. And um, I guess you know the story goes. Um, Dennis did did his job, you know, <laughs> with her right there with, with, <laughs> with, tape, with tape rolling, just so, so they could have that authentic. Um, sound on the end of the end of the track you know so all right well we're gonna it's nature it's nature it's nature we're gonna must have been recording it for a while so have like a set time on that (laughs) we're gonna play (laughs) we're gonna play this new uh newly found uh version of the song with dennis uh singing lead and i noticed when on this new box set that they kind of uh feature what we're talking about at the end of the track. So we will uh, air that here at the end of the track. All right, let's check this out. This is uh, Dennis singing lead on All I Want to Do from 2020, originally.
play it back. We'd like to hear it. <laughs> I love that. That, that went on for about 10 seconds here at the end. I love it. Johnny, you still seconds. there? Yeah. I'm still here. <laughs> I, love, I love that yeah, story. Man, I can't believe you guys got me right into talking about the, the worst stuff. Too. <laughs> but right off the bat, man. There was a whole other side to Dennis that we haven't even covered. The guy was super generous. <laughs> wow. He had a soft side to him, but he had a wild side. Absolutely, yes. Dennis, Dennis was, uh, he, you know, he, he wrote a song called He's a Bum. Um, that was kind of the band in the Bamboo era, which was his second solo album. It yes. was unreleased till recently. Um, but he thought of himself kind of as, as a bum. I mean, he, re- he related to the, the street person, even though he might be driving a Rolls Royce or... Mm living in a mansion, he didn't really ever think of himself as, let's say, quote-unquote, worthy of that. Hmm. He thought of himself more as as a street person, and that's, those are the people he really related to. Interesting. And he would, he would, you know, give his last $20 to, to somebody who needed it. Of course, he would expect you to give it, you him his last, your last $20 as well. Yeah. Um, you know, he had he had that that way of um, you know he would Dennis was a great person in that he would do something really nice and generous. Like if he was going to go buy a motorcycle and you were with him, he'd buy you one too. Yeah. Of course, then he'd oh. screw your wife, you know, or something <laughs> like that. You know, Linda likes but, that idea. He's just that kind of guy. He just. <laughs> he was all he was all in everywhere about everything. I always I, I, I re, um, refer to him as a cultural test pilot. There you go. And that he was like the guy who tried everything first. And he, he, you know whatever it was. And part- that's why that's why the whole thing about surfing only happened because of him. You know the Beach Boys. <laughs> They wanted to be the four freshmen or the Kingston Trio or, you know, the Everly Brothers. They had, there was no connection to surfing and that whole culture except for Dennis. Right. He's the one who told Brian, hey, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be a big thing, the surfing. You should really write a song about it. That's... And, you know, no one was doing songs about surfing. You know, there was something called surf music but it was instrumental music wow. and, you know the, the music that people like Dick Dale played you know that went along with surf right. films at, at the time um, which originally had jazz music on them and then they kind of veered into the, the surf style of um, Dick Dale or the Ventures or you know there was a lot of Southern California surf instrumental groups but the Beach Boys were the first ones to get there with a song that actually sang about the subject of surfing. And um, that was all because of Dennis. And that was... Just, you know, again, cultural test pilot. He had, he had tested it. He went out there and, and dipped his toe into the culture and came back home and said to his big brother... If you're writing songs about something, you should really write a song about this because it's going to be a giant craze. Of course, they ended up making making it, you know, a, a much bigger craze than it than it even was in Southern California. They made it, they turned it into a national thing. 
Timeless, 60 years later. We're still playing it, of course. And uh, he was the real Beach Boy. He was a real surfer, and that's why uh, a lot of that stuff's in your book. That's what happened there. And like you said, it wouldn't have happened without Denny. The other night... We had uh, we went down to the Music Box Supper Club. I had talked about this show, The Raz. It was a tribute to the Raspberries, but not only the Raspberries, but other Cleveland memories. And I had no idea that the, one of the singers, the lead singer in this Raz band, was the guy from Wild Horses, Steve Jokum, I believe his name is. I want to get him on the show. I was so that impressed. I had seen his band many times in the old days, Wild Horses. And uh, when they did this song, I couldn't believe I was hearing it after all these years. It was a big, big Cleveland hit. Not so much across the country, but it was huge here. And uh, to hear it again live was something else. So I'm going to play it tonight. A live version of it from the summer of 1980. Wild Horses and Funky. Funky Poodle on Island Time. We will continue our John Stebbins Beach Boy special coming up here in a couple minutes. Sorry about the length of my stage. Oh, I 
down by the coastline Baptized by sea and sand At a beachcomber's church Down by the coastline We are touched by God's own hand Down by the That is the Beach Boys, and that song, that particular uh, version of that song, 
was never released until just last year when the big uh, Beach Boys Feel Flows, The Sunflower, and Surf Obsessions came out uh, 1969 and 1971. This is a five-disc uh, exhaustive uh, collection. It's awesome. It's absolutely awesome because uh, a lot of these tracks... Uh, or parts of these tracks, you know, you hear the building of the songs and so forth, were never uh, out there before. And there's remixes on here, and it's just fabulous. And they're going to put out another one this fall that's going to focus on the Carl and the Passions and Holland albums from 1973. So we're looking forward to that. But that was Big Sur, a version of that that never was released. There was a version on uh, Holland, but it was much different than that one. So that was a cool little surprise on the new box set. We're going to hear another cut from that and some more of the progressive era Beach Boys tonight on our special show. We also had Boomer Blake with a brand new reggae remix of Down by the Coastline, a song he had put out earlier this year that's got other trap rockers on there like Robin Tricker and Danny Rosado and others. And we had Wild Horses with Funky Funky Poodle. I was so excited to hear that live last uh, Thursday night at the Music Box uh, from the Raz. And I'm going to try to get uh, Steve Jokum uh, on the show on Island Time, the lead singer of Wild Horses, and maybe he could sing Wild uh, Funky Poodle right here on the show. And we'll make it a hit again in 2024. uh, Listen to me, 2024, 2022. (laughs) That was from the summer of 1980, by the way. All right. We're going to go back to the telephone, and uh, we got Linda Robb. Linda, hello. Hello. Welcome back. And... From the Pacific Coast Highway in L.A., John Stebbins is with us. John. Hi. How you doing, John? Good. He, he moved locations. Welcome back, man. Great. Great to, great to be back. It's always good to be back. <laughs> Excellent. I've mentioned the David Marks books and the um, Dennis Wilson book, but you also wrote a really cool one called The Beach Boys FAQ. And uh, underneath it says, all that's left to know about America's band, and that that was a fascinating read as well. Yeah, that was a really fun book to write. Um, they kind of let me just kind of go wild with my opinions in that book, and uh, let me put a lot of humor in it as well. So, um, one of the funny uh, one, things I remember from that one was uh, you talked about how in the early 60s, the Beach Boys sang about the hot rods and gassing up our cars and, and uh, you know, revving up our engines. And then suddenly in the 90s, they were like, oh, we got to save our environment. Yeah, and it was like <laughs> it was like a little different story a few years later. Yeah, they took a, took a little U-turn there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's kind of like this, um, you know, take a load off your feet. Um, don't, don't go near the water. Don't think that. That was part of the progressive era, that Surf's album, Surf's Up album, 1971. Yeah. And I have. Hey, I, I can respect I respect both, you know. I'm a, I'm a car guy. I love, I love hot rods. Yeah. I like clean air, too. You love clean air, too. <laughs> but I have a friend, uh, one of my. Beach Boy fanatic buddies, and he he told me about the first time he heard Surf's Up, and he heard "Don't Go Near the Water." He's like, "These are the guys that were like catch a wave surfing USA and don't go near the water." He was just like, "What?" <laughs> yeah. It's that um, you know, it's that um, you know, 
Windsurd is a, I don't know if you have the original surf the vinyl, but the, but the um, insert in it was just like a dry lake bed, you know? Yeah, I remember that. I thought that was like really, really weird and trippy. It's like the beach boy, you know? That album called Surf Up, and you pulled me a just lyric sheet out of the liners on it, and it's just basically a, can you can you tell us a little bit about that era when Jack Riley was uh, the manager and he he made all these efforts to try to get them into you know the mainstream That's rock in the early seventies. Interesting guy, it's a little bit of a mysterious guy actually, um, but um, he decided to take on the management of the Beach Boys. They weren't, they weren't selling out concerts or anything at that time. They were really on kind of a downward spiral as far as the popularity was concerned. But he had a lot of faith in them, um, you know, as far as the, just the basic fundamental talent that was there in the band, songwriters and arrangers and all that. So, so he tried to spruce their image up you know, within the context of the time. Um, and, you know, I think both would be successful in, in making them, the perception of them um, as being something, you know, slightly more hip or palatable. I think one of his big things was he wanted them to start playing college. So they had been playing, you know, I mean, at one point they have been playing um, arenas and, you know, whenever the popularity was very strong, they could be four, sixty-five. But by maybe sixty-eight, they've been kind of down to playing halls and, and um, smaller venues. And we um, decided, that, you know, they should go out on a college circuit and start playing um, at, at colleges around the United States. And I think that that ended up being. It definitely helped them, but I still, I had a, my older sister saw them at Ohio State right about that time, and she told me that even then, uh, a lot of the people were screaming for, hey, I want to hear I get around and uh, surf in USA and stuff. Yeah, they couldn't, they could not escape that. They tried, they, they really, really tried, you know, to go around and play their new music, and um the perception of them, you know, being this surfing hot rod group. Right. They could never completely shake it. And, you know, finally they, um, they just kind of gave in and just kind of re-embraced that, you know, that side of things. That's but what... They, they you know, they put up, they put up a, a bit of a fight for a while, but yeah, you're right. The, the, um, there's a lot of now I, I love I love both of those eras so for me it's it's wonderful and it's and it's captured on that Beach Boys in concert album from 72 73 because you have a mix of the progressive tunes and some of the great yeah. classics as well yeah. 
they, they did um, find a balance there, it kind of seemed like for a while. It's like, um, it's like their New York stuff, sort of stuff in Holland was kind of successful in, in, in a way, you know, with some of it was getting FM airplay, Taylor Taylor got FM airplay, but at the same time, um, they would, you know, say sometimes fun as their encore or whatever, and that was, that was kind of a cool you know, cool balance that they struck there, but it just all reverted back to the oldies when the Endless Summer album came out, and and that you know was so so hugely successful, you know, went to number one, and then a couple of their songs, an American Graffiti song as well, which is a huge movie, right? And uh, pretty pretty soon it you know it became apparent that they were going to go like ninety percent. And they had Blondie Chaplin um, and uh, Ricky Fatar was the other guy, who were actually Beach yeah. Boys for about two or three years there. From the Flame right. Flame Group, it was a group that Carl had discovered down in South Africa, if I'm not mistake, mistaken. Uh, Carl, yeah, those were Carl's friends. I guess uh, he had he'd seen them, yeah, Ricky or heard them. Brought them, brought them into the fold, but um, so, they're doing, I think, um, again, kind of the Brothers doing something a little bit more. Um, course you know he's been playing with uh brian's show for the last few years so yeah i know i know linda has another question but before i go to you linda uh i wanted to ask john what do you think of the new uh issues of these these remixes and the big box set of feel flows have you dug into the whole thing or what oh yeah yeah well one thing about the sounds of summer new issue that i really love is that if you the liner notes in it that my friend Howie Edison wrote. Um, other than the Beach Boys themselves, there's only three people that are quoted in those liner notes. One is Lindsey Buckingham, one is Don Henley, and one is John Seven. Oh, wow. So, you know, That's like awesome. That, you know. That's just, awesome. Just, 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 just for my ego. Um, there you go. But, I think um, it's it's a great you know it's, it's a great great collection to get somebody maybe somebody 
like Lisa, you know, who is not crazy about the beach boys, but maybe starting to get into them, kind of breaking the ice. That's a great thing to just like share with somebody. That's that, just a great overview of the entire career and all of all of the points that were kind of important, including the early ones, including that uh, the middle ones, and then a few of the later ones as well. So, um, How do you like? And you know the the remixes have gotten some blowback, I guess, because you know they're trying to make things a little more modern sounding, they're using more compression, they're, I think things are just generally mastered louder. Um, I don't know if you've been reading any of that, but a lot of the hardcore fans had some trouble with the sound being, <laughs> you know, not as warm or whatever, but maybe the vinyl would be. I'm a vinyl guy, so... Oh. I, you know, I just love the original records. That's what I listen to. Okay. But I think what's fun about the remix is, is that you get to hear different things that are that are in those tracks. You know, that maybe were buried. And maybe there's a voice, a, a vocal line, maybe there's an instrument that you couldn't really hear in the original mix. They they brought some life into those mixes where it's just it's just interesting to listen to and hear it. I'm kind of with fresh ears. So. Yeah. So, you know, overall, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to see something of high quality get, you know, get pushed out there. And, um, you know, I mean, come on, this man, how many lives have they had done? You know, they, somehow, somehow, every time you think it's the Beach Boys are pretty much yesterday, yeah. Um, Something happens, you know. Some interest happens, like right. this is the anniversary of such a big thing, and they actually had a hit album. <laughs> Always something comes. This uh, Sounds of Summer is fantastic, but the Feel Flows thing, I think, really was, was something else because we hadn't heard a lot of that part. And we're also looking forward to this Carl and the Passions Holland box that's coming out in a few months. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to hear uh, Carry Me Home. I'm going to hear, you know, like a really good yeah. mix of Carry Me Home. And that's never been officially released. We'll have done it the coolest song. Dennis Wilson yeah. again. Linda Robb, you had something. Go ahead. Got a couple things. First of all, I want to know if the three brothers get along, or I mean, what is one uh, like Dennis and Carl tighter than than Brian? Or we're talking what's going back on? back in the day. We of got course. some yeah. middle child, you know, scenario thing going on with Dennis. Or I'm sorry, I'm driving and I'm having a little trouble hearing Lisa. She wanted to know if when they, when they were growing up, was there any sibling sibling rivalries? I think there yeah, might. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think Brian was the one that was kind of an athlete. He was kind of a, a leader and neighborhood leader in a way, but um, but also kind of um, not a real aggressive kind of kind of personality, and, and so. 
John's driving and we're losing we're losing him. Uh-oh. Okay. Hey John, we're gonna try to reestablish you in a second, but in the meantime, I'm gonna play a couple tunes. Linda, you still okay? Yep. Okay, hang on the phone. We're gonna do, we're gonna rock out, Linda, okay? Uh, yeah, it's about time. All right. All right, John, we'll continue in a moment. We're gonna do Funky Pretty from the in concert album that I just referred to with Blondie Chaplin on that one. And a song uh, that really caught my ear, it was it was from that progressive era in the Surf's Up album era, 1971, and I want to ask John about it. It is a song that Mike Love sings lead on. It's called Sweet and Bitter. And another great rocker from uh, Sunflower, It's About Time, on our very special Beach Boys number two special for the 60th, an- 60th anniversary, this is Funky Pretty.
Beach Boys, Sweet and Bitter, on our very special Beach Boys uh, 60th Anniversary Special, Part 2 tonight on Island Time. And that was a song, uh, we have John Stebbins back on the phone. John? Hi. That was, that was a song written by Brian Wilson and Don Goldberg, and it appeared... Yeah, it appeared on the new uh, Feel Flows box, and I just it caught my ear. You know, Mike's singing this thing, and it's an original song, and I don't know. Apparently, never made the uh, cut, but I I think it's pretty cool. Sweet and bitter, it's called. Yeah, it's pretty cool. There's a lot of cool stuff on there, and um, I, I I actually um, had a pre-release um, <coughs> file or whatever, you know surprises that come out especially when these box sets come out so we're i can't wait for the next one coming out. i think it's in october linda rob are you back i am you had a question about david marks the lost beach boy and uh i'll just try to explain it real quick for anybody who doesn't know david played on the first five albums i think it was and he was a guitarist and he still is of course and uh al jardine's uh, didn't think this was Beach Boy thing was going to be a solid career, and he tried to be a dentist for a while, and he went off to dental school. And so David, after about five albums, uh, left the group. He got in a fight with Murray, the father. But go ahead with your question. So I read that he's a yeah, neighborhood friend of Beach Boys, and so he replaced Al Jardine and then performed on the Beach Boys' first four albums. Yet, because he didn't appear on the Beach Boys' 1961 single, Surfing, uh, that most historians um, don't count him as a true founding member. I thought that was kind of bad, but I was wondering how David Marks feels about that. Well, you know, in retrospect, he feels kind of like um, he got, you know, shorted on this whole thing, but but part of why that happened was because he, once he quit the band, he really never fought for his part of their history. He just let it go. He let them define him. Um, he wanted to move on and do other things. He became, you know, he became yeah. a pretty serious uh, session guitarist and, and um, studied at you know, Berkeley School of Music and the Boston Conservatory and, you know, study with classical guitarist, guitarist, and um, he was more into learning the craft of his instrument. And you have to remember that he was only 15 right. when he left the Beach Boys, you know. So, yeah. there's a lot of factors involved, but, but the fact that they, they were essentially allowed to write their history um made it so they could kind of streamline their 
the history and kind of tell them out of the story because it was kind of an inconvenient fact that there was this guy that was on the first four albums and suddenly he's not there and it was easier for them to, to not even make him part of the part of their story, part of their history. Um, I think Murray had a lot to do with that, and the manager, father, slash father. Um, but um, it's a combination of things that just made it so, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't go out of their way to point out that, oh, yeah, David was part of our, you know, part of our history. And then he didn't go out of his way just to fight for that and say, hey, wait a minute, I was part of the band for a long time uh-huh. until, until we went about, you know, the effort of writing his biography, got him back in touch with it. He really got back in touch with the whole history of it and the importance of it. And um, it was a process in that way. But, um, but you know, if I, all you need to do is dig into the facts. Of, of their of their story, and you'll find that he he was there. He was around them, helping develop what became the Beach Boys before they were ever the Beach Boys. So, if, if you, you know, if you just look at the at the way that their sound was built, it was built in segments. You know, um, Brian had some friends he liked to sing with. Mike was one of them. Al was one of them. Carl had a friend who played guitar with. That was David. He lived across the street. Right. You know, Dennis was surfing <laughs> and chasing girls. So right. anyway, when all of that all came together, you know, it was all part of the the mix that made the Beach Boys the Beach Boys. And, and David, David was, you know, definitely a part of that, and, and an important, you know, one of the ingredients in the cocktail that became the Beach Boys. So, um, it, it, is, it is kind of a shame that that um, a lot of people perceive him as being, you know, sort of like the fill-in for Al, which is not, it's not really the case. It's kind of kind of the other way around. But Al came back since then, not really to replace David. Al came back to replace Brian. He didn't want to tour anymore. Because I wanted to yeah. stay on the right songs and produce music, and and so the touring Beach Boys for a lot of 1963 had both David and Al in the band. That's pretty wild. And the band that you'd see when you went to a Beach Boys concert at the end of '63 did, did not include Brian; it included Al and David. Al would play bass and sing Brian's part. But then when Murray and David you know, came to to a, a very bad place, and more like Murray and David's parents, actually. But if you read the book, it's really a lot of about David's parents. Um, when it came to that, and David the band, then Brian had to come back because they needed that you know bass player and that other voice. So, so Brian was kind of forced back into the live act. And that really ended up being a bad thing for Brian. I mean, he took it for a while, but, you know, he's writing all the music, he's producing all their sessions, and um, having to go out and tour and play, you know, a gazillion concerts a year. Yeah. And then he ended up, you know, he ended up having a breakdown. It was just too much for him. And a lot of that, the reason that that happened was because 
David left, which caused, you know, Brian have to come back and touring act, which he really didn't want to do. He, he, would, he would be okay with playing, you know, the occasional show, the bigger shows, like if they played the Hollywood Bowl or something like that, Brian would want to be there and play. But when it came to, like, touring left or whatever, um, you know, they were basically renting Chevrolet station wagons and dragging their equipment around the country. And Brian didn't want to be any, any part of that, part of, you know, part of show business, uh, really part of show business. One of the funny stories from the early years, uh, David Marks, uh, well, David Marks' father ended up being kind of like a manager for a while and, and driving him around on the tour, but Murray was so strict uh, he had a, a fine if they, he heard any of them swearing. Remember that one? <laughs> oh, yeah. I think yeah, it'd be, he would dock them for, for not smiling. Not smiling or <laughs> swearing. Doc, he would dock them pay. Or yeah. swearing or, you know, what, not, you know, whatever their little uniforms that they wore at the time, you know, if it wasn't right, you know, something wasn't right. Um, yeah. And there's a, there's a point where David start, stops, like, getting paid. I mean, he's out there touring, doing tours with them, and he's 15 years old, 14 years old, and, you know, suddenly there was, like, a point where, like, he, I guess he'd run up so many fines or whatever that he stopped getting his, his payment. And um, it's... Um, really interesting yeah it's interesting how small time and big time they were at the same time yeah because they're having gigantic hit records certainly USA is the biggest rock and roll song of 1963 uh they're out you know certainly USA album is is i think um one of the you know before the beatles it's basically laying the groundwork for for what capital did with the beatles in, the, in that youth market um is that the youth market had never been an albums market. It had always been a singles market. And the Beach Boys were like one of the first rock acts that actually sold a lot of albums, a lot of LPs. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, Elvis Presley sold LPs, but there really weren't any other rock <clears throat> acts that sold a lot of LPs around that time. And the Beach Boys sold huge, huge numbers of LPs. And so, um, so they're this, this big act, but all of their gigs had been booked the year before or whatever. So they're, you know, they're under contract to all these small venues and they're, they're basically driving around the country in a station wagon and then showing up at these keen hops or whatever. And there's, I mean, Mike Lev talks about how he, he finds, you know, he knew, he knew something like really awesome was happening when they like pulled up to one of the places they were supposed to play, and there was just you know hundreds of cars lined up all the way down the highway, basically, you know, traffic jam of people trying to get into the theater the playing. You know, and probably only maybe ten percent of the people that had showed up would be able to even sit in the venue. Wow! But they but they had to so, Yeah, interesting time. What I think uh, we're going to take a very short break here coming up, uh, John, but one of the uh, things I think that happened was for David Marks, when you put that book out, 
uh, it brought him back into the limelight. And as a fan myself, I I knew hardly anything about David from uh, the time I got into the band in the seventies up till the time your book came out. And when I read that book, it was such an eye opener to hear uh, not only the years of with the Beach Boys, but all the things that happened to him afterward. It, it was really something, and it, and it it really brought him back into the limelight. And he started doing shows with them again, fiftieth anniversary tour, of course, and some other things, and uh, I give you credit for that. That was really something. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. David's a great guy. We had a lot of fun together, and um, it was fun to get, get him to embrace that part of his, you know, his history again. Are all the, kind of um, get comfortable with it, you know. Are all the books still out there? The the real Beach Boy and uh, the real and the lost Beach Boy, David Marks. Is are those out? Yeah, the a couple of those books are out of print. The, uh, the Dennis Wilson book, I've, I've worked on a, a revised edition, but it, it's had some legal things that have hung it up. Um, oh, really? Okay. But I would like to get that get that out in an expanded edition. And then and I'd love to do an expanded edition of David's book as well, because like you said, so much happened to him after the yeah. book came out. So there's a lot of great stories there. Yeah. The books that are in print are the, the FAQ book, uh, Beach Boys FAQ, that's in print. Okay. And the Beach Boys in Concert book, which I wrote with Ian Weston. Yes, uh, great. That, that's like a bible of their, their touring years, um, and that is also in print. That's, Phen- a, that's a great book. Phenomenal book. You can look up just about any live show from the first, you know, maybe not the last 10 years, but up. Up the first 30, 40 years. It's, yeah, it's, it's up, a, up through the 90s. Through the 90s. It's amazing. I, I yeah. went back and found the first show I went to and stuff like that. It was just great stuff. All right, John, if you don't mind hanging on. And Linda, I think Linda's going to take off for the uh, for the show anyway, but thank you for uh, helping us out. It was a fun time. Thanks, John. Got a lot of good info. A lot of good dirt. A lot of good dirt. Hang on the phone, uh, John. We will continue this in a couple minutes here, all right? This last song is from Sunflower and Dennis wrote it. It's called It's About Time.
Thank you, Bill Graham. Thank you, Bill Graham.
breaks my heart to see the city Wonder why it ain't pretty Here we go from the, excuse me, Dennis Wilson solo album from 1977, The River Song, a classic to those who have heard it. When folks hear it for the first time, they're like, whoa, that's Dennis Wilson? Yes. And we also had Wild Honey Live, Blondie Chaplin singing lead on that one. I remember when I was doing the Beach Boy Marathons back in the 90s, the only way I could get that song, in fact, somebody mailed it to me, was on a cassette. (laughs) It is now on the box set that came out a few years ago called Made in California. Great live rockin' version of Wild Honey with Blondie Chaplin singing lead. And uh, It's About Time, this song from Sunflower, also recorded live. That is on the new Feel Flows box set. All right, John Stebbins is going to stick around for one more little segment. We're going to do that for you right after this quick break on Island Time tonight. Our very special guest, uh, we're going to do one more segment with John Stebbins. John, out in California. This has, been, hey, this has been fun. We uh, played a Dennis Wilson track, of course, River Song, from his solo album. Can we talk a little? Yeah, I like it. Yes, can I we? I like the choices there. That was a nice segment. Uh, oh, yeah. songs in a row. killer. It's About Time and uh, Wild Honey, of course. Uh, rock and stuff. You know? Absolutely. Three, three rock and songs right in a row. The people out there, a lot of people out there don't know that the Beach Boys did this. Uh, great music. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. sometimes. So tell us a yeah, little. kind of veer, veer into a harder rock sound. Of, and so, you know, it's really evident on those three when you hear oh, them yeah. back to back like that. Yeah. I love that era. I, lo- I, love, I love all the eras, actually, but I, I love that era. And I've really gotten into it more in the recent years. Tell us a little bit about Dennis Wilson's uh, so- brief solo career. He had uh, the one commercially released Pacific Ocean Blue, and then Big Bamboo was supposed to come out, but it didn't come out till many years later. And uh, talk talk briefly about that. Well, he kind of had a different vibe in his, uh, you know, the, the kind of music he was recording. It didn't really fit onto the Beach Boys albums, um, especially after Holland, because, you know, 15 big ones, they kind of, ended up going into maybe a more conventional Beach Boys kind of sound, you know, something more in the, along the lines of the oldies, um, you know, Beach Boys sound. Um, and the themes were pretty much more about, um, I guess, um, fun and fun and, you know, it's okay. It's very, very much like like that and right. you know, rock and roll music. They did a lot of covers. Anyway, Dennis had been recording his own songs uh, going back to, you know, the early 70s, late 60s. And, um, you know, he did his one or two songs on their albums when their albums were a little bit more on the eclectic side. 
Um, I think Sunflower, you had four songs on. But as things, you know, evolved into that more um, oldies era of the Beach Boys, and, you know, for whatever reason, it's kind of like he had built up a wealth of recorded material and didn't really have any place to put it. So um, I think it was um, James Garcia who, you know, produced Chicago and ended up managing the Beach Boys for a time. Um, and play bass on the kind of touring, you know, the Beach Boys. That's right. Of yeah. Touring um, he heard some of Dennis's stuff that he recorded, and it was just like blown away by it. And said, "Wow, you know, you, you got to find a way to get that, get that stuff out." So he signed Dennis to Caribou, and uh, it was a three-album deal, actually. Okay. And Dennis ended up. Delivering Pacific Ocean Blue, I guess, on time under budget, from what I heard, and and they were pretty pleased with it. And I thought it was, you know, a really amazing album. And it reviewed really well. Um, you read, like, the, the reviews that came out at the time that it was released, Rolling Stone gave it a great review and compared him to John Lennon and David Bowie and people like that. Really? You know, wow. You know, the depth of, you know, what he was putting out. And, and it didn't really, like, blow away, you know, the charts. Um, but it sold enough that, that um, he, could have, he could have definitely kept going if he had his stuff together. Um, I think it actually, I think the closest Beach Boys album uh, was Beach Boys Love You. It was released the same year. And then the one after it was M.I.E.U. And I think it sold basically on par with the, you know, but it wasn't like his solo album had had sold a lot less than whatever the Beach Boys were selling themselves at the time. So, so it, it did well enough that, that um, you know, the door was open for him to do the follow-up. And he, he recorded a major part of that and just really needed a, a mix down more than anything and a few parts added, but it was very close to being done. It was called Bamboo. And um, unfortunately, he, he really um, took and um, as far as his, um, you know, personal demons really got to him and, you know, failed marriages. And, and the Better Studio was sold, so he didn't really have a place to record consistently. And, and his, um, his boat, he had a, a yacht called the Harmony, which kind of what he lived on yes. ran into it being repossessed so it was like a whole bunch of issues you know, severe alcoholism and, and you, know, you know drug issues as well so, so it kind of like the lifestyle just really caught up to him at that time and so even though that first solo album was was kind of a tour de force and it was you know it got a lot of respect actually um, he just didn't have it together enough to, to follow up. And that would have really been, you know, I think where he really might have gotten some traction is the, you know, he kicked the door open with the first solo album and it was, a lot of people took notice of it. And I think that if he had followed it up with another strong record, he would have, you know, had his own, he would, he would have his own kind of foothold or, you know, his own leverage uh, as a solo artist. But as it yeah. turned out, 
he had to just go back to being the drummer and the Beach Boy, and um, he needed the paychecks. You know, he needed he needed that to prop his lifestyle up. So, um, yeah. And you know, again, the, the personal issues um, really affected what happened afterwards, and it's really a shame because he showed so much promise with that first solo album, and really has become a cult classic. Um, there's a lot of people who who believe deeply in that record as being one of the best records of the 70s. And I, I, I kind of tend to agree. I think it has it has a magical quality to it. It's kind of dark. Right. Um, but it's, um, it's big. You know, it's got, it's, it's got big, deep sounds on it. It's just the production on it is incredible. He really knew what he was doing in the studio. He learned, he learned a lot from his brother Brian. It wasn't it wasn't like a Beach Boy record, but it definitely had his own sound, and it was high quality stuff. I listened to it even today, and I'm like, this this really holds up. And like you say, it didn't go over so well initially, but it has really grown in status over the years. And in 2000, what was it? 2004, they put out this two CD set where it was Pacific Ocean Blue and Bamboo. And uh, Taylor Hawkins, who we just lost recently, sadly, uh, helped with that, and he recorded a, a bonus track with it. And that thing sold yeah, way more yeah, than the original. The track, the track um, Holy Man. But then it's left behind. Holy Man never yeah. got a vocal put on it. And, and Taylor went in and put a very Dennis-sounding kind of lead vocal on it, which is, which is really cool. You know, we all were kind of holding our breath um, when that happened. There's this track. I actually got to participate in in the um, process of putting that thing together. Oh, to really? On the session. Wow. And and um, this, this Holy Man track is just um, such a such a great fundamental basic track with no vocal on it. And so you know, it's like, do we want to put this out as just an instrumental or? You know, he didn't want to invite somebody to come and sing on it. And, and um, Curcio, Jim Curcio and Greg Jacobson and John Hamlin were throwing ideas around. And, you know, Brian was, of course, mentioned as maybe somebody who might want to do it. And, and um, I, I think they thought about maybe asking Neil Young if he wanted to come. Oh, really? But it ended up being Taylor. Greg Jacobson was friends with Taylor. Greg Jacobson was a co-producer of the original Pacific Ocean Blue he, he wrote a lot of, co-wrote a lot of songs and with Dennis and one of Dennis's close friends from that time. And um, he just happened to be friendly with Taylor and thought of him as, you know, knowing Taylor was a huge fan of Dennis, um, they thought, well, let's give Taylor Hawkins a shot. Maybe he, he could pull this off. He came and sang, sang that track and it just, it sounded so much like Dennis. Everybody was, Wow. Blown away by it. Uh, it turned out really cool. Wow. And yeah, it's a shame we lost Taylor. Yeah. Uh, too young too young to that passed. But but yeah, that was a lot of fun put you know, helping put together that that uh, legacy edition. Uh, they did a really beautiful job. I believe it correct your timeline I think it was two thousand eight. Two thousand eight, okay. Okay. Yeah, and and it did. It sold really well. It was a Rolling Stone reissue of the year. Oh, was it? Okay. Um, which is kind of a huge thing, and um, it it um, sold. You know, it charted and it 
couldn't show it here because they designated it as as, as um, catalog or whatever. Um, so I couldn't chart as a new album in the United States, but it did go like top, I think it was top five on Amazon when it was released, and and in in, in the catalog chart or whatever it is. The, as a reissue or whatever, they it, it, it did really well. But what was interesting is in the UK, the UK they got, they didn't have that designation, so it was just released in 2008 as if it was a new record. Wow! And and um, it made number 16 on the album charts. Wow! <laughs> you know, which is crazy, right? Yeah. Like Dennis Dennis Wilson, how many years after he's passed away? Um, has a top twenty LP in the UK that that year, so that was that was fun. I remember that well. That was that was exciting, and they did a hell of a job with the uh, with that package. I I was gonna yeah. I was gonna do, excuse me, I was gonna do uh, you and I. But do you have a favorite uh, Dennis track I could play tonight? Oh, I you know. Either one. I got time. I got the bamboo with me. You know the disc two as well. Uh, I really like moonshine. Moonshine is just a glorious, glorious okay. track. All right. Yeah, do Let's well, do that. But we're gonna. My wife and I and my dog are gonna get back on the Pacific Coast Highway and head head home. All righty. So it was a lot of fun talking to you tonight, Dennis. Yeah, great to talk to you again, John. And uh, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for doing this for Dennis and the boys. Excellent. And uh, check out your, you have a website, right? JohnStebbins.com, I think. Uh, I'm kind of retired, you know, so, uh, you know, I don't need my website. I, I definitely have a Facebook. Uh, you can go on there and see what's up. But, okay. But um, I think my website's kind uh, of dormant right now. Um, I still do have a couple books in print, the Beach Boys FAQ. Um, all that's left to know about American band, and then there's the Beach Boys in concert, um, which I co-wrote with Ian Rustin. That's, that's a really great book for anybody that wants to know about what happened with the Beach Boys during their touring years. Yes, from '61 uh, through the '90s. '90s, yeah, yeah. it's a terrific book. You had a book real quick. You had a book about that bar that Dennis hung out at too. Is that still around? Oh uh, yeah. It happened at Shea Jays. Yeah, that's uh, that's just kind of a, a small little um, book that the, that the family has put out. You know, kind of as a tribute to to uh, JP and Della, who's the owner of Shea Jays, and that, that's still around. If you go in uh, go in Shea Jays, it's next to the Santa Monica Pier. You can go in there and get a Bloody Mary and uh, see if they have a copy of the book for you there. That's awesome. I got to, if I ever do my uh, Beach Boy trip to California, that's definitely one of the steps. Absolutely. Yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of rumors that Dennis's ghost still yeah. there once in a while. A lot of the ghosts. All right, John Stebbins, thank you so much. This was so cool. And uh, let's do it again down the road, all right? Sounds good, Dennis. And uh, big surf's up to you, and we'll talk soon. See you then. All right, John Stebbins from L.A. and out in California on the Pacific Coast Highway. Let's do uh, let's do Moonlight or Moonshine, I should say, from Pacific Ocean Blue, and then we'll do uh, my favorite, one of my favorites anyway, from that same album. You and I, as we're in a home stretch of the Island Time Beach Boys special tonight.
breeze, soothing DJ voice, and good music. Besides a coconut drink, what else do you need? You're listening to Island Time with Dennis King right here on 88.3.
case anybody's interested, this song was written by Brian Wilson and his friend Van Dyke Parks. And uh, Brian played it once on a, a TV show, uh, on a Leonard Bernstein special. And Leonard Bernstein said that it was one of the best songs uh, ever to come out of uh, rock music. So Cousin Carl here is going to sing the song that uh, Brian and Van Dyke wrote called Serious Love. A diamond necklace played the part And a handsome drum to love For one to a handsome man in the tongue A blind glass aristocracy Back through the opera glass you see
Recorded in the early 90s, that is Carl Wilson singing lead on Surf's Up. Very cool. I, I really hope you enjoyed our special Beach Boy show uh, playing all the progressive stuff. Yeah, a lot of fun tonight, but we're going to do one you know next. But first, it's time for Mad Dog's Late Night Social. Social! Social time! Here's Ziggy Zagga, Ziggy Zagga, hoi, hoi, hoi! Ziggy Zagga, Ziggy Zagga, hoi, hoi, hoi! Eins, zwei, drei, super! Mike Mad Dog Adams, check him out at Puddin' Bay in his 42nd summer up there at the Roundhouse Bar. I tell you what. We had in there you and I, Dennis Wilson from Pacific Ocean Blue. Also, Moonshine going out to John Stebbins, our very special guest. Surf's up live. And let's do good vibes right now. I love the colorful clothes she wears. And the way the sunlight plays upon her hair I hear the sound of a gentle word On the wind that lifts her perfume through the air Smile, I know she must be kind When I look in her eyes She goes with me to a blossom world
I just ran away Like a kid out of school Got no worries today I'm feeling a change in the wind It's so nice to be back in San Pedro again I've got time to take time for myself I've got time to do nothing at all Fish on the reef, get some palm tree relief If the phone rings, I don't take the call I knew this would happen to me one day I'm leaving the madness behind I'm living in the land of no Mondays And there are no words left to speak And mañana is the busiest day of the week There was a time long ago When winter was staging one hell of a show Nothing but meetings all day I filled my sanity slipping away I said, hold on, now this ain't for me I spent too much time on dry land Now I head to the bar, get some vitamin Or write the songs that I sing with the band I knew this would happen to me one day I'm leaving the madness behind I'm living in the land of no Oh, 
pie Sat on the beach till my body got fried Dreaming of your pretty eyes Up in South Carolina I can't pronounce my R's or G's When I'm speaking Southernese Honey, do, honey, come and do me again I've seen that fat cat style 300 pounds of jive-ass smile Young girls giggling all the while That's not my cup of chowder I go for candlelight Cold champagne every Friday night Honey, do a little toast to me and you Staring at your empty plate Maitre D keeps telling me Sir, she's just not coming What the hell is ugly now? We've been through all this before Honey, do little toast to me and you Jimmy Buffett live with Honeydew. We also had the Jim Morris track of the week in there with Land of No Mondays. Hey, friends, thank you so much for indulging us in the uh, Beach Boys Progressive Era special tonight. Michelle Romery Trio will be here on August 22nd in a couple of weeks. All right. 
I stand corrected. Thanks again. Fins up, everybody. We love you. Thanks for joining us, and uh, catch you next week. Next week, Let's meet right back, same time, same channel next week on Island Time. Fins up! Fins up!